Hey, thanks, man. It's it's really great to be with you. Uh, this this morning has been encouraging to me. I got to be honest. I travel a decent amount in my job, and some churches are kind of a bummer. Um, but this isn't one of them. Uh, it, it really is amazing what God has done here over the last five or six years in Omaha through this ministry uh, with City Light and beyond. Uh, and I want to tell you, I told in, in the first service that. In the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is a small kind of weird group of people, uh, but, but in the Christian Missionary Alliance, you guys are kind of famous. So whether you knew that or not, and whether you just started coming to City Light, this story has been told a bunch because it's, it is a little rare. Uh, it shouldn't be as rare as it is to see churches planted so quickly, so many people come to faith and rally around, uh, but it kind of is. So I'm here to celebrate that with you, and uh, also to say, I think that God is always calling us to what's next. So God never invites us into something that he is changing just so that we can get situated and comfortable, but he's always saying, okay, what do I have for you, City Light Church? What do I have for you as an individual? Um, and I believe that part of that has to do with that big mission story, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So Chris said, uh, I have two kids. My wife, Rachel, and I have been married 16 years. We live in Colorado now, and uh, we've moved around a couple of different places. I get a little whoop for Colorado. That's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place. And uh, we've been there for five years. Our boys, uh, Blaine's just about to turn 12, um, so he smells, and he uh, does not, yeah, so anyway... <laughs> He doesn't care yet. I told him it's going to start in about six months, so he might as well start bathing. Uh, and uh, my second one is named Jude. He's uh, eight years old. Blaine's kind of the typical firstborn, like driven, pleaser. Everything's in a box. Uh, he is very, he's, I, I hope he's going to be an engineer and finally make our family some money. Um, but he, he kind of thinks about the world like that. And Jude just loves a party. He's more of like our little actor, and he's in like all these, you know, Broadway combo and all this stuff in town. And uh, he, he loves that kind of stuff. He makes everyone laugh around him, uh, but they're very different human beings. It's funny with your kids how, uh, you know, where did this one come from, <laughs> you know? So a few years ago, after we, just after we had returned from the mission field, and our kids knew Jude, Jude was born in France, and Blaine knew for sure you know, why we were there. He was going to French school and all that kind of stuff. When we moved back, uh, he, he really felt like this burden to be a missionary to people around him, in France, wherever. You know, because for him, it's, the world's very black and white still. And so for him, he's going like, okay, if Jesus came in my life, then I'm going to go tell other people. And he turned that evangelistic sort of passion towards his little brother. So his brother's like three or four years old at the time, and like we would be, you know, sitting around, you know, talking about God or praying, and Blaine would say, Jude, is tonight the night that you're ready to give your life to Jesus, you know? <laughs> and, and Jude would go, no, nah, I'm good, every time. And so Blaine's like, he was really shocked by like the resistance, like why would you resist this, you know? And so one night he starts ramping up a little bit, and he's like, hey, Jude, you know, are, are you ready you know, Jesus died for you. It's easy. You just got to ask him in your heart. And Jude's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. And Blaine's like, fine. If you want to be separated from mom and dad for the rest of eternity, that's on you. I'm making my choice, right? So, so we're like, it's a little heavy handed there. <laughs> I mean, he's four. So we'll give, him, we'll give him a little space. So one night we're around the dinner table. Jude, uh, Blaine has volunteered to pray for like, you know, years in a row. And Jude never wants to pray. He's, he doesn't want to do what other people want him to do, basically. So this night, he's like, hey, I'll pray for dinner. So me and Rachel are like, oh, thank God. Like, we, 
we haven't completely lost this soul already, you know? Because <laughs> I'm starting to wonder. And, um, and Jude goes, but I don't know what words to say. So mom, you tell me what to say. So Rachel starts feeding him lines, you know, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. And there's a little pause in the prayer. And Blaine throws in, Jesus, come in my heart. And so Jude has just been repeating a line. like, Jesus, come in my heart. Blaine's like, we got him. Done. <laughs> Sealed the deal. Jude's like, wait, what? And he goes, you said the words and I know the words. Like, God heard you, you're in, we're good. <laughs> so I am not here uh, to encourage you to trick people into believing in Jesus or to manipulate your way into evangelistic conversations. But I am here to remind us of what Pastor Chris already said, that the basics of what it means to follow Jesus is that we are first his disciples and then he saves us, not only for us, but for a purpose and for him and for the kingdom. And for Blaine, it's just very simple. Like if Jesus changed my life and if he's given me a hope and a future, even as a little kid, and by the way, I do believe that God speaks to little kids and God draws our children. So uh, it's awesome to see, you know, your children's area and how many kids are here. Uh, those are important moments. And, and so for Blaine, it just was like, oh, well, of course, then I'm going to take the next step and I want to witness to my you know, he's trying to smuggle Bibles into his little school in France and get me kicked out of the country and stuff. Um, but, and, and, and witness to his brother, of course. This morning you heard from Acts 1, maybe a familiar passage to some of you. And actually, if you back up to verse 4 in that passage, Jesus has just risen from the dead. Uh, it's a dramatic thing that happens. The disciples who go from completely crushed to now... Uh, you know, thinking we're going to take this on with Jesus and we're going to finally live out his promises. And Jesus gathers them together and he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's your marching orders. First step is stay in Jerusalem and wait. Wait and pray and expect that the Holy Spirit will come, the promised one. John's baptized with water. Now you're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus gives us in this little verse a secret for mission effectiveness. And here it is. The first step to mission effectiveness is to wait with open hands and say to God, I need you. I need you to fill me up because I got no chance without you. Mission's first step is not like, all right, let's come up with a plan. Let's figure out how to do this strategy. The first step is communion with God. And that's why every Sunday when we come into worship, uh, we don't just jump right into like, okay, tell me what to do. We spend time, we create space to say, I'm here for you. And I need you because my whole life is pulling me in other directions and I'm so fickle and I'm prone to wander and my brain is, you know, we have ADD sort of Christianity that just jumps from one thing to the next. And, and God is calling us to wait on him and to say, okay, like, what do I have to give you? And then we say back to him, I'm, I'm yours. Then, and maybe we could throw up that slide. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Just from Acts 1, uh, 8, the, the final verse. So Jesus says to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. So what he's saying is when the power comes on you, in other words, when you go deep and the Holy Spirit fills you up, much like a well, I don't know if you've ever seen a well being drilled, but a well that gets drilled really deep, when that water is hit, it shoots out in power. I was in Africa a couple of years ago and there's a short-term team there around the well and the guys who are drilling, they do this all the time, they're like, hey, we're just about to hit the water, like bring them close because they're just going to get doused with mud. Uh, this will be awesome. Like the Africans are going to love this that are there, you know? So um, they pull the team in and man, sure enough, when they hit that water, it comes exploding out of the ground. 
And so what Jesus is saying is the power of mission that comes exploding out is because that power is not your own. It's the Holy Spirit. So without depth in the Holy Spirit, there is no mission. But with just mission, we get really tired too. But I will say, if, if we don't explore in mission, then we just get to be like self-centered, you know, self-absorbed consumer Christians. That's really what happens. If all we say is, oh, I just need more of God, but it doesn't ever outflow into something. In other words, we just keep drilling down, but it doesn't shoot back out. Then, then it's an incomplete gospel at best. And it's maybe not a gospel at all, if we're really honest, because the natural outflow of following Jesus is obedience. And part of his obedience is to see other people uh, come to know him. And so Jesus says then, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in the city that you live in, to people who are very much like you, other Jewish people. Also to Judea, they can get their heads around that, okay, like the other Jews who live in our region. And to Samaria. And for us, we just like read the names. But Samaria is people who live relatively close to them, but who they hate. People who are very different from them, but live close to them. Friends, I think that um, in America right now, we have Samarias popping up all over the place. Where they're in our region or even in our city, but they're very different from us. They're very difficult to love at times. Uh, We actually shape some narratives around some of that stuff and make excuses personally for why we wouldn't talk to somebody or outreach to those people. They live in Omaha as well. So Jesus says, not only to the people who are like you, who like get you and they dress like you and they talk like you, but the people who are very different and maybe even the people that you hate. Oh, and by the way, to the very ends of the earth. So the point in this And Jesus says, by the way, you will be my witnesses. And that word in Greek is actually maybe better translated evidence. Like you will be the evidence that God is real and on the move. If you walk around, you will be evidence that I'm real in all those regions. And I think that we can get our heads around in a local church, especially Jerusalem, Judea, and sometimes Samaria. You guys had a Samaria event yesterday that you'll hear about later. And that's an awesome thing to celebrate. A lot of churches have a hard time with the Samaria But the reality is City Light as a network and even as a a local church here and with West Campus and all these other things could get a lot of this done in Jerusalem and Judea together. Very hard to do it to the ends of the earth. It's just hard. Like just in very practical terms, a local church, like if you're going to go plant a church in Cambodia, like just exporting a satellite campus to Cambodia is not going to probably work real well. Like this band would be great, but it'd be like, what is this? I I don't know the language, I don't know the culture. And so that's why it's really important to develop networks all over the world. And you happen to be a part of one of those networks called the Christian Missionary Alliance. It's family. uh, and, And this family has gone all over the world. And so for the next about 20 minutes, what I'd like to do is just give you a glimpse at what it looks like when you go deep and then it goes all over the world and what kind of family you're a part of. And then we'll just close by asking you, I'm going to tell you right away, what is your step as a person? Like, how does God want to engage you in the big story that he's telling? How does he want to take your story and make it a part of the big story that he is rewriting and writing anew all the time? So the CNMA was started by this guy named A.B. Simpson. We're going to call this the Alliance World Tour, okay? Okay. So track with me. You're about to see a bunch of pictures. The Alliance World Tour. Here we go. Okay, so this guy named A.B. Simpson, he's a pastor. Um, we're starting in North America. He's a pastor 
uh, in New York City. He was a pastor at a Presbyterian church making good money, like $110,000 equivalent in that day. A uh, successful guy, uh, but it was a pretty elitist kind of church. It was kind of a church where you paid to have your name on the back of a pew and that kind of stuff. They just wouldn't welcome in different kinds of people. Well, Simpson's heart is stirred for all of these immigrants that are hitting the shores in New York City, primarily the Irish immigrants at that time in the 1880s. And he said, hey, we're going to do an outreach to these people. And the church was like, no, we're not. So they basically voted him out and he lost his job. So now he's kind of like in New York City and he's rounded up like eight different people who are kind of like him. His wife's kind of ticked at him, to be honest. And he's saying, we've got to be about a deep life with Jesus and we've got to reach the ends of the earth. At the time, some of the stories that I'm going to tell you are, are like, wow, but you kind of have a framework for it at the time. Like the gospel had not penetrated most of Africa, India, China, like nowhere. These people never heard the gospel. And Simpson and a couple of people like him at the time were like, let's get this done together. And so where does an unemployed ex-pastor who has this burning desire to reach the world begin, where we all should begin, right where we're at. For us today, that's Omaha. For Simpson, that was New York City. First, he started publishing The Word, The Work, and The World, a missions magazine that still exists today as an award-winning Alliance Life, A-Life. And actually, there's copies on the back and the next, on the back table, and on the next issue, uh, Katie Kerr, who was hanging with you guys this summer, and some of you met Katie, is actually the cover girl. She was in the first service uh, because of her service uh, next step to Cambodia. And you can sign up for free, by the way. You can just fill up this little thing, and we can tell you some stories about what God's doing in the Alliance. So Simpson starts this single church, the Gospel Tabernacle, uh, on 44th between 7th and 8th. It's now, unfortunately, John's Pizza Shop, but it is a good slice of pizza. So if you're in Manhattan... Uh, Go just west from Times Square. And this gospel tabernacle provides the launching pad for what is now 2,000 churches throughout the United States, worshiping in 35 languages, including three American Sign Language congregations in Oregon, Ohio, and Maryland. Those 2,000 churches, just in the last decade, baptized a bunch of people. How many? Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> Somebody cheered. I love it. I grew up in Ohio, and I know I'm in Husker country. And so um, I just brought this so I could look at it for a second. <laughs> so a lot of people can fit in, you know, at, at the horseshoe. And a lot of people in Michigan say a lot of these college stadiums hold a lot of people, right? Uh, Ohio State, 104. I've heard that they've gotten 108 in there. But actually, in the last 10 years, those 2,000 churches in the U.S. have baptized upwards of 122,000 people uh, in the U.S. in the last 10 years. Soon after that, Simpson, uh, after the gospel tabernacle is planted, he launches the Missionary Training Institute, which stands today as Nyack College in New York. But this was all just beginning. Simpson's vision was as large as the Great Commission itself. And now we're going to look all over the world, region by region. So he lifts his eyes to Africa. By faith, Simpson sent some of the first graduates as pioneer missionaries to the Congo in West Africa. The small team was led by a 20-year-old guy named John Condit. But within two weeks of their arrival, John falls victim to malaria and dies. And just a few months later, three of his colleagues return home, and only one guy is there. But today, on this Sunday, in Alliance churches in the Democratic Republic of Congo, more than a million people are being ministered to. 
And throughout sub-Saharan Africa, there are now more than 2.3 million people worshiping Jesus just in Alliance churches. And that started with one 20-year-old courageous guy. In Guinea, our Kama team, our relief and development arm, teamed uh, to help curb the spread of Ebola in very real ways while providing compassionate care to its victims and their families because we mourn with those who mourn. Senegal, people living on the streets as a result of suffering from leprosy are actually getting help. And some have been healed and 15 of them have received Christ. Burkina Faso, our Envision site, drills wells, giving clean water to thousands while strengthening the outreach of our local churches. And I'll pause to say that every well that's drilled in Burkina Faso has an accompanying church that's planted with a pastor who's ready and been trained at the seminary. And not only are these villages for the very first time getting clean water, but also a gospel presence for the very first time. That's good. Widows in that country who are rejected by families for following Jesus are encouraged and supported by our team. Villages that are long resistant have now opened to gospel witness. Alliance workers and national church leaders have joined hands to plant recently 46 new churches. In Mali, last year, our Kuchala Hospital celebrated 10 years of ministry, treated nearly 100,000 patients, delivered 20,000 babies, conducted 8,000 surgeries, and hundreds have come to faith in Christ, and the national church has been strengthened. In Cote d'Ivoire, the CNMA now has more than 3,000 churches, 1,000 more than the U.S., and nearly a half million members. During a recent conference, 6,000 of their alliance women gave an offering of more than $3,000, which doesn't sound like much, but is to them, for sure, to help Christians not just in their country, but Christians who are suffering in the Middle East. Let's go to Asia Pacific. By faith... A rich guy named Robert Jaffrey walked away from family fortune and helped open the work in nations that we now call China, Vietnam, and Indonesia. As a great to curtail his work, Jaffrey urged the alliance to move ahead, saying, do you ask in view of these terrible economic depression of today, dare we go forward in these new fields and commence new work? Maybe we should be asking this. Dare we, in the face of the command of the Lord Jesus... And in the face of encouraging miracles, he's working on our behalf, hesitate for even a moment. In China, during the great, or during the Boxer Rebellion of 1900, 18 Alliance missionaries were martyred. 13 of their children were killed. Later, missionaries were forced to evacuate again due to the communist revolution. But by 1967, the CNMA was delighted to have 18 congregations meeting throughout the growing city of Hong Kong. Today, the Hong Kong CNMA has 116 churches, operates one of our largest seminaries, invests approximately 11% of their annual church income to missions around the world. They're actually ahead of the U.S. church in that, and they support 164 cross-cultural workers. In one city of China, hundreds of young professionals are coming to the Lord, and that's like, I'm not just using like hundreds, it's actually hundreds uh, coming to, to faith in, in the Lord by these guys, uh, Luke and Amy, amazing people, being discipled in their faith with many entering full-time ministry. And this is just a sample uh, of some of what's going on. In Vietnam, during the 1968 Tet Offensive in Vietnam, seven CNMA missionaries were martyred. All remaining workers were forced to evacuate, but the gospel still advanced. And today, the CNMA in Vietnam is more than a million believers strong. In 2016 alone, 60,000 people came to Christ through our churches in Vietnam. During the Vietnam War, our seminary property was confiscated. Today, however, 
Our seminary has been allowed to rebuild and reopen, and it'll contain a 2,500-seat auditorium to give place for the church to have national gatherings in a nation that won't allow them to rent public facilities. In the Philippines, in 1960s, college students from the outlying areas wanted an Alliance church to attend, so our missionaries helped them launch Capital City Alliance. That church alone has planted 35 more. So you're doing well. Keep going. Today, there are more than 150 Alliance churches just in Manila. The CNMA of the Philippines numbers nearly a half million believers in 3,000 fellowships. It also has become a missionary sending church to more than a dozen countries. Indonesia. 2,200 plus congregations make up the National Church in Indonesia. In cooperation with the national leaders, we're in a five-year project called Sumatra 2021 to start 20 new fellowships among least-reached peoples. In a region that a decade ago had no believers, this guy, an alliance pastor, harvests and sells Kopi Luwak coffee that somehow is made from cat poo. Yeah, you've heard of that? It's a real thing. I have not drank it, nor do I encourage it, but maybe it's good. Today, a church is being planted out of this guy's house. In Laos, Ted and Ruth Andrianoff were assigned to what was considered at the time the most isolated missionary post in Indochina. They only saw their missionary colleagues once a year. But a local shaman was the first one to come to faith there, and he later helped them translate the Bible. Now, get this. Within six months after that, 2,000 people had accepted Christ. It was just village by village by village. And today, the Hmong church continues to grow strong in Asia and the U.S. There's a picture of a recent Hmong youth conference in Minnesota. Uh, God has done an amazing thing with a Hmong people group that some of you may have never heard of. Japan. Due to the depression uh, in the U.S., the CNMA Board of Managers closed the field in 1937 for financial reasons. But this one lady, strong lady named Mabel Francis, respectfully resigned and stayed. She just said, you guys can go. At the end of World War II, Mabel was there to welcome the CNMA back to her beloved adopted country. And upon her retirement at age of 83, Mabel received the highest civilian award that can be conferred by the Japanese government for her humanitarian and outreach efforts. But today there are still less than one half of 1% of Japanese who follow Jesus. So there's a lot of work still to be done. There are good stories, though. This recent college grad literally found a Bible in a Tokyo gutter, and then he found an Alliance church because it was close to his favorite pizza shop. And so he comes to faith, and he's now being discipled. And in places like Japan, one by one is a big deal. Let's go to the Middle East. By faith, the Breeden family arrived in the Middle East in 1923. George often traveled by camel for hundreds of miles through open desert to preach the good news. Today, there are more than 100 Alliance churches in various forms uh, of development throughout the Middle East, including Iraq. Jesus is the light of the world church in Baghdad, birthed at a time of war and persecution. Ten years later, the church continues to shine. In Jordan... A CNMA church in Mafrak has de de developed a six-story community center. That church provides schooling for 162 Syrian refugee children. Numerous other ministries make this church a beacon in this border city. An Alliance school in Amman offers quality education for kids, including those with disabilities, witnessing Jesus' love at work. A number of families have shown interest in following Christ. Let me pause and say this. 
Some of the stats in some of these regions are like overwhelming. Millions of people and then others are less so. Why is that? Well, part of these places are, are hard to live. They're resistant. There's a strong um, Muslim population or whatever. But God is at work. And I just want to say this in the middle of this presentation that sometimes when we, and, and Justin, you, you called us to this earlier, but sometimes when we turn on the news or Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is that you get your information from, it's just bad news. But what I think God is calling us to do is not to look at the world through evening news lenses, but to look at the world through gospel lenses and to see what he's doing because the story he's writing is not what you always hear on the news, okay? And so what God is doing in the Middle East, it it feels scary, some of these regions, but God is not intimidated, he's not uh, an American, and he's not done. So he's still on the move, okay? (laughs) That That was a little freebie, sorry. Latin America, South America. Some of our earliest missionaries went to our Spanish and Portuguese-speaking neighbors to the south. Despite pressures and dangers, by faith, they established chains of evangelistic stations, often along major rivers, and the gospel is preached widely. Today, the Peruvian church is vibrant. 179,000 members and more than 300 mission-sending churches who support 60 missionaries. We're proud to support a Chinese-American couple who ministered to the Chinese diaspora in Peru. The Peruvian Alliance president, Mario Perez, recently came to Colorado Springs and presented our president, who's at City Light West today, by the way, uh, with a beautiful gift, a hand-carved statue of a Chosky. This guy is an ultra-marathon runner, sort of an early ultra-marathon runner. I've run some marathons. John was an ultra-marathon guy. And the, the president of the Peruvian Alliance said this, We just want to thank the Alliance for bringing the gospel to our people. That's a powerful statement. But then he challenged us to continue to be heralds of the good news. Did you know that we have dozens of churches in Cuba? During the decades when the United States wasn't welcome, our Canadian and Peruvian Alliance teams were there ministering. And with doors now opening to us, we need to be careful and enter humbly and respectfully. But a partnership between U.S. and Cuban national church leaders has been signed. And by the way, our Envision site in Miami, led by some Omaha folks, Matt and Terry Perotto that came from Christ Community Church, uh, are helping to bridge the gap between that district in Florida and the ministry in Cuba. Two of South America's most resistant nations are Paraguay, where the Alliance is planting churches, and Uruguay, where in Montevideo, our workers are reaching university students. And you can see some of the current statistics of the fruit of faithfulness. Sorry, one more. Yeah, I got ahead of you. There we go. In this beautiful region of the world. That's good. Europe. Some people think that the church in Europe is dead. But our Alliance family testifies that a new openness to the gospel is emerging. There have been recent baptisms in Italy. In Spain, we have multiple ministries, including outreach to immigrants from North Africa. In Germany, we only have five churches. But in recent years, our team has moved northeast to one of the least reached areas in all of Europe, where less than 1% of people attend a church of any kind. And now, Veteran Alliance workers, and these guys are like legends to me, uh, are beginning an Arabic-speaking church planting work among Syrians. There are many signs of life in France, the country where I served with my wife, Envision's beautiful Genesis Center right in the heart of Paris. It's the coolest place on earth. Is vibrant. 
There have recently been retreats for young leaders who are in a mentoring program. Three international churches uh, have been started and are growing, and there are a number of French churches. And one person at a time, even in a place like France, the gospel's advancing. I'm going to pause to say this. This dude with a beard on the left, his name is Mally. Mally and I met about eight, nine years ago. He's an alcoholic, uh, daughter severely autistic, recently divorced, unemployed. Difficult situation. God radically transformed his life, healed him physically. He's now married to a, a single missionary, getting ordained um, in three months, I think. And he's the one now baptizing. So that's a pretty cool story. That's pretty fun. Let's go to Kosovo. Disillusioned by a dominant religion, a family leader recently traveled a long distance to ask one of our partner pastors, after he had found this random book about Christianity, to come and teach them the way of Jesus. That's literally what he said. Dozens have been baptized in that village. A new expression of the church is arising, and the Spirit of God is stirring in hearts. And we give praise to God for that. The Agape Center ministers to those with various disabilities. Occupational therapy did not exist in Kosovo until our staff introduced the program in a public university. Last region, North and Central Asia. In Russia, under the leadership of Dr. Rainbo, the president at the time, the coolest name, uh, the alliance quickly responded after the Iron Curtain fell. And recognizing that God had opened the door, the CNMA sent its first workers to Russia less than a year later. We soon partnered with the Evangelical Christian Missionary Union, and today they worship in more than 50 churches. As conflict has arisen in eastern Ukraine, some area residents have moved to Kiev. Alliance workers and their partners provide ministries, including weekly groceries for some of these internally displaced people. Just 20 years ago, there were no Alliance churches in Mongolia. It was closed to missionary work. But today our team is there, and 30 churches are being established. And City Light, maybe you're aware that we have teams serving all over the world in creative access, special sensitivity kind of places. And we'll hear all those stories in heaven. Some of those are difficult to tell because of security reasons. But rejoice with me today that in a place called Tea House, a second new believer from an unreached people group has just come to faith. In Long Beach, four baptisms were recently celebrated. According to our teammate, these young people were running down the beach, giddy with joy, at the thing that they had just done. In Green Mountains, three groups meet regularly to study the Bible. For many of them, this is the very first time they've ever read the Word of God on their own. So I've taken us all over the world, giving examples of the fruit of faithfulness. But like the author of Hebrews, I don't have time to tell of Angola, Argentina, Brazil, Cambodia, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, El Salvador, French Guiana, Gabon, Ghana, Great Britain, Guadeloupe, Guatemala, Haiti, Honduras, India, Israel, Kenya, Lebanon, Martinique, Mexico, Myanmar, Nepal, Niger, Panama, Portugal, South Korea, Taiwan, Thailand, Venezuela, Fiji, Finland, New Zealand, Australia, or Canada. Deep breath. That's good. All told, I said in the first service, I feel like I'm in the Animaniacs uh, song during that thing. Have you ever seen that? All told, the Alliance Worldwide consists of 6.3 million believers, worshiping in 180 languages, in 22,000 churches. And it all started with a guy with eight people around this little fire in New York City who had gotten fired from his church and just said, I don't know, 
The gospel needs to go to India. The gospel needs to go to China. It needs to go to Africa. Could we raise up some young women and men who are willing to do that? Can we raise up a network of people who are willing to financially give and sacrifice so that the gospel of Jesus would go forward? And that's my question to you this morning. Because this story of the alliance is actually your story. You're a part of that. Again, whether you knew that or not, you're a part of this family of churches. And so the question for you is, what is the step in discipleship that God is calling you to as it relates to mission? For some of you, when you hear a presentation like this, or you see the stories, something weird happens to you. I was that guy. I hated it. Like every time I heard a missionary speaker when I was a kid, I'm like, oh no, I'm going to have to go to live in Africa. I, God sent me to Paris, so you know, some people have to suffer for Jesus in different ways. <laughs> um, but some of you that God stirs in, that's a real thing. And so whether that's a short-term opportunity or a long-term career, don't ignore that voice of the Spirit. And for some of you, uh, it's just to say, man, I gotta think about this stuff. Like, this needs to be a part of my experience with Jesus that I would pray for countries and people, for workers all over the world, for, you know, um, th- these areas of the world that are less than 1% believers. Because if this is really done by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's some synergy that happens as we pray, God moves. I don't know how to explain that, but that's the truth. And so all of us, that's the call And then, honestly, I'm not going to shy away from it. In order to get all this stuff done, we have to give our money together so that we can send new workers. Right now, we have an interesting problem in the Alliance. We have 60 workers vetted and ready to send, and we don't have enough money to send them. It's the first time in like 20 years that we've had more people than we've had money. And so I'm just asking you, like, would you consider partnering in that way? You're going to hear Pastor Chris talk about the Great Commission Fund. That's the way we partner together in sending these people. But all these people are going to the hardest places. And so for me, you know, I can, I like comfort. That's my biggest problem. (laughs) I like to be comfortable. But for me, I have to have conversations with my wife. Like, this isn't just about us buying stuff for ourselves or living the American dream. If we're really kingdom people, we got to live that way in the way we spend our money too. And the way we tie to our local church and the way we see missions advance. Right now, we just ran the numbers. And you'll see, if you follow the Alliance on social media or, or whatever, You'll see something on Giving Tuesday right after Thanksgiving that kind of just says, could we give gospel access to people? Because the reality is there's a gap. In some of these places, it takes a lot of gospel witness to even hear the message one time. In the U.S., we can walk around and kind of maybe meet some Christians every once in a while. Some of these places, there are no Christians. And the way you create gospel access is dropping people in and creating presence and, so, and, and living there for a long time. And so we, we ran the numbers of what does it take for, to keep a missionary on the field and how much does this, you know. And it's basically $50 gives gospel access for one person for one month. So if you're looking for somewhere to start and you go, that sounds like a lot of money, well, then give half a person gospel access. Um, but for $50, you can give gospel access, the gospel message for one person a month. For $250, you can give it to a family, Right? because there's usually five people-ish in a family. That's an average. And then you can do the math to see what it will look like for a village or a community. So as we close today, all I want to do is say, this is Jesus' story. This isn't the Alliance's story. This isn't just City Light's story. This is all a part of his thing. So what is next for you? God has not done all this in Omaha on accident. In the City Light family churches, this is so that the lost may be found and that people could be reconciled, but he's also raised up 
a network of churches and people in this room to be reconcilers. So some of you might not go, but you can send and you can pray and you can involve. And that's what my ask is today, is that you would engage in what God's calling us to do. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful that we can cheer today in ways that we cheer maybe for sports teams or at concerts, but we cheer a living God who's on the move. When we clap today, we clap because you have taken people who were lost and isolated, and now they can be found in family with you and with each other. And I ask that you would bless City Light Church. I pray that you would extend their reach here and their own Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and that you would extend their reach to the ends of the earth as they partner together. Thank you for good people with great environment this morning, and I pray that you would do more than even could be asked or imagined here in this city and around the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.